It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. So recapping those baseball scores, the Blue Jays lose game one to the Rays, 3-1 in the sixth. The Yankees up 7-2 on Cleveland. The White Sox knock off the Athletics 4-1, and the Astros, who were below 500 during the regular season, win 4-1 over the Minnesota Twins. The Spengler Cup canceled. Looks like the New York Rangers will buy out goaltender Henrik Lundqvist tomorrow. Three players from the Tennessee Titans, five staff members have tested positive for COVID-19, but the game against Pittsburgh on Sunday is expected to be played at the moment. We'll follow that story. 780-496-0063 is how you get in touch. The Tampa Bay Lightning, the Stanley Cup champions, and don't forget last spring, I guess uh, pretty much a year and a half ago now, they were picked by many to win the cup after a 62 win regular season they did not win a single playoff game head coach john cooper and how they reconciled last year's loss you know how we did it with this group right here and you know i'm the one up here in front of the microphone for the last 511 days again who's counting (laughs) but uh Bottom line is, I don't get. We don't get this done without this group here, and and they did a phenomenal job. You just look at this this series and our special teams, how it went down. Uh, Franz and Vassy, our video coaches that get every challenge right. I'm the one that screws them up, but you need uh, you need a team to do it, and this is a group that uh, led our team, and and then you just have a bunch of players that believe, and you know we use a little inspiration from uh, the Virginia basketball team, and that hat's been with us for this whole time and when you see somebody else do it you say why not us and we ended up taking uh well basically we went from the outhouse to the penthouse (laughs) all right well there you go john cooper tampa bay lightning stanley cup champion a guy who covers the team joins us on the line now please welcome to inside sports joe smith from the athletic in tampa joe welcome to inside sports in edmonton how are you doing doing well how about you guys I'm doing great. Uh, tell us the tell us the details behind the Virginia hat. First of all, that Cooper mentioned in that clip. Well, like a, as you guys probably know, uh, the story over the University of Virginia men's basketball team uh, a couple of years back with the number one seed in the tournament, and they lost the 16 seed in the first round. Uh, probably one of the biggest upsets of in, you know, in recent sports history, and. You know, after the Lightning were the President's Trophy winners, the first President's Trophy winners to lose in four games in the first round, they kind of took that um, uh, as an example because Virginia the next year won a national championship. They bounced back and they took that um, the fire from from the, from the pain from everything that happened and channeled it the right way and, and won. And so uh, ever since then, and you know, Cooper has had a, a Virginia hat the, the whole time in the bubble and he wore it at the press conference on uh, Monday. Uh, and he doesn't know Tony Bennett, the coach there, or like people at Virginia, but it just, he said it kind of gives, if, if they can do it, it gives you hope that you can do it. And uh, certainly they're followed in Virginia's footsteps and uh, the ultimate comeback story. 
Joe, obviously that, that first round defeat last year, a big part of the, the Lightning's franchise story, even with the, the, the Stanley Cup title. But you look back to, to really coming out of the, the season that wiped out the lockout, some struggles the first five or six years, and then pretty much a, a contender or at least a playoff team most years, conference finals in 2011 to the final in 15. Uh, conference finals in 16 and 18 and then now the stanley cup championship and, and i'm wondering from your perspective of covering the team w- was there ever that that franchise moment last year where you thought oh my god i wonder if they're gonna maybe rip it down or make a drastic trade because they got um because they got swept by columbus was was it always in your mind a stay the course situation i'm just wondering how you saw that play out well i mean i think anybody you know you go to wonder after the way it happened because, you know, I guess if you're taking the emotional uh, response, you see all the expectations and you see it end in six days, you know, you kind of wonder if it's not just, not just their first time going through it. It's, you know, they've had a number of cracks at this core. And so you wonder, not that they're going to blow it up, but they'll have to make some changes. And, and I think it was pretty telling a couple of days after they lost in Columbus and the general manager Julian Breezebach took the mic and talked to the front of the media and he was preaching, preaching humility and uh, you know looking in the mirror and he said we got to figure out why and what he also said is you know we're not going to blow this up these guys have won before we believe they can win and the story of this team hasn't been written yet uh, the ending hasn't been written yet and when when and if they do win the Stanley Cup uh, didn't know didn't know it would be this year or next year. It needs more sweeter um, to find a way to do it. So I think as much as the Lightning made moves this year at the deadline and before that and adding seven players from last year's team, I think it's what they didn't do. They kind of also set the tone of you know believing the core group and knowing that you know even though they've kind of had uh, been able to you know get over the hump that they were still you know with some tweaking and. Uh, obviously, the, the scars from what happened could go on to do um, some special things. And so, credit to the, the management team for not uh, cutting bait so soon and then giving their team either chance to do it. Joe, I don't know if you saw the uh, the piece Brian Burke did on television during uh, one of the uh, intermissions during the series, and he's also a regular on a, on a show called Oilers Now we have on 630 Ched about the differences in taxation rates in some states and some provinces and and Florida obviously is, is a place where it would be a more beneficial tax situation for a player to go. And, okay, maybe that helps with recruiting and the weather and, and all those types of things. My question to you though, Joe, as someone who's on the scene there is the Tampa Bay lightning for a large part of their existence have been a very good or excellent NHL franchise. Uh, the Florida Panthers in the same state have not. So there, there has to be more to it than uh, than the weather and the taxation rate that, that helped the Lightning here. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think taxes can play an advantage, so there are ways to work your way around the system, too. So it's not just strictly as you're in bad shape if you're in Toronto or Montreal versus Tampa. There's certainly an advantage there, but I think what's helped the lightning and what's made them a free destination is the culture and the standards they've set. You know, I think Steve Eisman came in 2010 and, uh, instant credibility, um, and really kind of set the tone and they kind of believe that they could be winners. And so you set a standard there and guys with even the stamp code is taking maybe less the market value to, to stay long-term. It kind of sets the tone for that. And, 
you know, guys like Sanchez signs for one point seven five million. Pat Barone, top champion, nine hundred thousand. Luke Sanchez, seven hundred thousand. Uh, Zach Pavilion in the late February deal for one year. Um, the, the players want to go to a place where they can win. Players, place where they can be supported, where they have a good uh, energy and culture, and that um, obviously it's a beautiful place to live. As I can attest, I've been there fourteen years, and there's not a in uh, the organization from the ownership on down is really. Um, you know, first class, and so that makes it easier for a free agent. Let's say if money isn't the most important factor, but well, what is? You know, winning a Stanley Cup or um, being a great place for my family or and everything else. If they all check all those boxes, then of course the taxes help. But um, that's just you know giving you a little more bang for your buck. But as a whole team, but I think there's a lot much more to it. Um, as you mentioned, what team was like? You know, the Panthers and everything that that haven't had that culture of winning, that haven't had this success that have had stability in, in coaching um, in GM. You know, Fred Cooper is the longest senior coach in the league. Julian Brees has been, been with the team since 2010. Uh, so was Jeff Binnick, the owner. That's, you know, it's kind of rare in every sport to have all those guys that long tenure with a team. And I think that, that does, does, does something to players when you're a veteran and want to sign somewhere. Joe Smith from The Athletic joining us in Inside Sports covers the Tampa Bay Lightning. Okay, I'll throw one more at you, Joe. Hey, it's the off season. It comes at you fast, right? <laughs> they gave out the cup about uh, 20, uh, 26 hours ago, actually less than that. Uh, and, and now uh, we're going to see what happens. G- give me an off season story or line line or two with the lightning, whether it's a contract or, uh, or, you know, there's, there's still holes on every roster, I suppose, and things that they're going to try to improve, even though they won the cup. What's a storyline or two for Tampa? Well, they're, they're there and, a really salary cap mess here because you know they they've got so many guys that are so talented and the young guys who are to all the deals now the new deals and Mikhail Strukachev and Sorelli and Chernak as RFAs and so there's a really big crunch here and so I think the storyline for for me that is is they won the cup you know how many of these faces might have to be moved on to make room and who makes the cut um, and how do they retool and reload knowing some of these the veteran voices that were so critical to their success, the Pat Maroon, the Kevin Shattenkirks, uh, the Luke Shens, um, you know, guys might not be here next year. Um, so, you know, how does the Lightning as an organization, A, make their cap work around all these talented players, and B, how do you find the right mix in the room that was so uh, valuable this year, knowing that they won't have that chip on their shoulder next year, they don't have the probably the same hunger of, of having been humbled so much and never having won a championship. Now they've all won a championship. They've chased the spoils that they're on the party week and month here uh, in Tampa. So I think that'll be an interesting storyline for me. Joe, I know you've been incredibly busy and you've probably had to do a few of these today and, uh, and do your own work as well. So thanks for fitness here, fitness in here on 630 Chad in Edmonton. Really appreciate it, man. Hope to talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Take care, guys. That is Joe Smith from The Athletic Tampa. A little bit about the Lightning, and as he put it, sure, they got the advantage of it's a nice place to live, uh, the state taxes in Florida. Uh, you know, Well, they don't have them, so that uh, certainly helps the players get a larger chunk of their paycheck, but they, they have the culture there, and they have the depth within the organization. Look, Steven Stamkos is... Well, I mean, for, for most of the time, I guess you would have said he was the best player on the Lightning. You've certainly had Kucherov and, and Point come through. 
but you look at a lot of teams and we put the Oilers in that bunch. Could you imagine a team like the Oilers or whoever losing one of their three best players for basically the entire playoffs? Stamkos, yes, came back and, and scored a goal in limited time, but basically he didn't play. And, and I think for most teams, that would mean you're not going very far if you don't have one of your top guns. Pretty uh, pretty powerful team, pretty deep. 780-496-0063 is how you can get in touch. It is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. So here's what I'm wondering, and a couple of people texting in about speculation for next season, and that's going to be a big topic, I think, as we roll through the fall and into the winter. I don't think there will be NHL hockey until January. Gary Bettman said how they start the season doesn't necessarily mean is the way they're going to finish it. So you could start with no fans, have some fans. Maybe they get to full buildings if they go into March or April. Who knows? I mean, we just don't know. There's so much unknown. There are different protocols in different jurisdictions when it comes to uh, large gatherings, all that kind of stuff. So the the prospect of a Canadian division really intrigues me. And Matthew Schneider said, maybe they go kind of a baseball route and you play series. So let's, let's just pick Vancouver and Edmonton as two teams as hypotheticals. Let's say Edmonton and the Canucks are supposed to play each other six times. Well, maybe if, if there's traveling Edmonton goes to Vancouver and plays there on a, uh, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, that's it. That's the trip to Vancouver. They play three in a row. That would take some getting used to for NHL fans. You have home and home sometimes. You rarely play two games in a row in another building, let alone three. Maybe that's the way it's going to be. Now, if they have these hybrid bubbles that Frank Cervelli talked about today on tsn.ca, then that might be a situation where they would have a Canadian division and Maybe Vancouver is the bubble for two weeks and the seven Canadian teams go there and you play a round robin or maybe a round robin plus another game against the divisional opponent or, or whoever. Um, well, I guess you'd be in a Canadian division. So maybe you, you go there and you play every second day for two weeks. So Edmonton would play everybody else once, maybe Vancouver twice. Then teams would get a week off to go home and reset. Now there might be some risk to this because you're out in the public um, you know, certainly chances that, that the virus could be transmitted or could be caught, but they'd be tested before they go back into the other hybrid rubble. Then maybe Winnipeg hosts for two weeks. And if you're looking at the Oilers again, they would play every other Canadian team once. And then maybe this time they play Montreal twice. Then they come home for a week. And then maybe Edmonton gets the third bubble and you play everybody once. And then maybe they play the Flames twice. And then you're up to 21 games and you're at least a third of the way through a 60-game season. Then maybe at that point, the NHL says, oh, okay, the border's open. We can travel. Now, I still think there would be restricted travel. I I don't know if we're going to see Edmonton play teams in the Eastern Conference in the next season, but perhaps you play... Uh, you, you stay in the Pacific Division. Maybe the Oilers do a California trip, Arizona, Vegas. I, I don't know. But I, I think we're going to see a different schedule. And quite frankly, it would not surprise me that whenever the NHL announces the schedule, which probably wouldn't happen until December, that it would not be for the full year. It would be for maybe the first six to eight weeks and say, this is what we're going to do. 
and then we're going to see. We have a target. Well, they would know how many games total they want to play. They would know when they want the playoffs to start and end, but they wouldn't do a whole schedule, and they'd leave a gap maybe in the second half of the season or the final two-thirds and then fill it in from there. It, it is It is going to be different. Um, you know, if you're a ticket holder or somebody who likes to go to the occasional Oilers games, you, you may not be able to go this this coming season, or, or maybe a few fans can get in and who knows whatever process they would use to pick. But there's so much bouncing around with this. And we, we know from Gary Bettman, from what he said about a week and a half ago, and really from his entire tenure as the commissioner of the NHL, which is what, around 27 years now, uh, he, he will consider everything. He will not commit to anything until he absolutely has to. And so I think now we're, we, we know that next week is the draft. We know the next week's free agency begins. Then I think after that, we're back into speculation phase. We're back into April, May, and June like we were waiting for, well, what, what are they going to do? Are they going to have four hub cities? Well, now they're going to have two. Well, they're not going to have a qualifying round. Well, they are going to have a qualifying round. I, I think we're going to find ourselves back in that state of a lot of uh, news stories shifting as we go through this, a, a lot of speculation, a lot of days where it seems like, okay, this is what's happening. And then two days later, that's not what ha- what's happening, such as, for example, that it looked like Vegas and Vancouver were going to be the hub cities. And then within a week, it was Edmonton and Toronto. I think that's what we're in for in the NHL. We'll have player news next week. We'll be able to talk about rosters because we'll have a draft. And then on the 9th, we'll have free agency and we'll have free agent signings, I'm sure, for, for the weeks to come after that. But a lot of that is going to happen probably up to about mid-October. Then after that, I really think we get heavily into speculation phase with how the next season is going to look. Always happy to hear from you. 780-496-0063 to call or text. We're back after the news. Here's what's going on with Major League Baseball. Top of the seventh, the Yankees taking it to Cleveland, 11-2. Blue Jays lost 3-1 to Tampa Bay. Astros knocked off the Twins, 4-1. White Sox over the Athletics, 4-1. All game one in best of three series. Uh, I can't give you an update on the presidential debate because there's no scoreboard. (laughs) Maybe there should be. Anyway. Uh, I'm sure our uh, other shows will have a lot on that over the next 24 hours. 780-496-0063 is how you can uh, call or text Tampa Bay Lightning enjoying the Stanley Cup championship. It'll be the NBA Finals. Yes, one one of the funniest quirks in all of sports. The Stanley Cup Final, the NBA Finals. The Finals tip off tomorrow the heat against the lakers the great lebron james saying he's as locked in as ever before in his career you know i'm, I'm here for one reason and one reason only and that's to compete for a championship and that was my mindset once i entered the bubble once i entered uh the quarantine process the first uh two days um and then right from our first practice my mindset was to if i'm gonna be here um make the most of it um and, and see what you can do and lock in on what the main thing is and the main thing was for us to finish the season and and compete for a championship so 
that's just been my mindset. Um, you know, throughout these, I don't even know how many days it is. Whatever how many days it is, it feels like five years. So it really doesn't matter. But uh, I've been as locked in as I've ever been in my career. Well, that's saying something because he's been locked in pretty much his entire career. That is LeBron James, Heat and Lakers starting up tomorrow. To discuss that and uh, who knows what else. Well, actually, I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball off the top here. It's my buddy from Alberta Basketball, from Canada Basketball, Paul Sir. Paul, how are you doing? Great. I'm, I'm at the plate and I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the catcher to give you the sign read. So let's go. <laughs> okay. So last night we saw the Tampa Bay Lightning win the Stanley Cup. In your illustrious playing and... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Coaching careers, the most significant championship you've ever won. Um, let's see. The most significant championship I ever won was uh, my third year university, junior, uh, my junior year, uh, my Winona State team. We were playing in the NAIA, which was uh, – it was a completely different era. A lot of uh, great players. Jack Sigma was in the same tournament. But we won our district to go to the national championships. It was 32 teams from across the U.S. coming to the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, got there, and we won our first game, beat a good team out of the East, lost our second game to a great team out of the South, and eventually won, uh, finished second. But but yeah, that was that was that was the best championship. We won our conference, uh, won the districts, got down there, made a little noise. Uh, I had thirty in the first game, so I felt good about that. And then, uh, then we we couldn't get it done in the second game. That was probably the biggest biggest championship. Lots of other good mem- great memories, championships, last second shots, things like that. But that would be my that be my championship. I, I believe Winona State. Have they not won a couple of div- Division Two men's basketball titles? They did. They won the, last... the final three years in a row. Won the first one easily. Second one, they were up seven with 47 seconds to go and lost in regulation. And then the third, the third, they won easily again. So yeah, they have the great tradition there. It was a great school to play at. Uh, what, what, uh, I know I've asked you this before, but let's remind everybody: what style of player were you, Paul? Like, did you you had you said you had 30 points in that game? Were you usually the go-to guy when you played? Well, yeah. After my sophomore year, yeah, when I came out of Little Cresco, Iowa, and went to Winona State, my freshman year I got up to sixth man. We had a really good team that year too, a couple of All Americans on the team, and then. Uh, uh, but my junior year, yeah, like I, yeah, I, I, I was a go-to guy. I was a really good shooter, and so we ran a lot of actions to get me shots, and uh, I could knock them down. So, yeah, most of my career I was leading scorer on the team, and. Uh, could fill it up a bit not a lot of defense but <laughs> i could hit the open shot <laughs> no, and no three-point line which i know has been a topic for a theme for us no three-point line when you played too bad get this no three-point line and no dunking in games in that era well you were in that in that era where you could guys couldn't dunk i was yeah in, uh, 68 they 
Bam dunking because of Ben Lewell syndrome. Actually, sixty-seven because he would go he would go into the games for UCLA and he'd have ten to fifteen dunks a game. So they banned it, and you'd get a technical foul. I had teammates getting technical fouls for uh, holding the ball over the cylinder or, or just barely setting it over the cylinder. You get a T if you can. So that the that. basket would the basket would not count, and you would get a foul. Basket wouldn't count, and you get a technical foul. That seems so harsh. <laughs> oh, it was so stupid. I mean, it was so stupid. And year I after I graduated, they reinstated dunking. So. <laughs> Go figure. But so it wasn't would much have... of a factor in my game, believe me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Though I'm sure you could you could throw down if you absolutely had to. You've if I absolutely uh, had to, yes. You've coached a lot. I, I'm going to ask you a, a similar question to what I asked Rob Brown. I, I know the sports are different, but the end of the season is, is tough, except for that one team. And, you know, Rob... Uh, Played, uh, he got to win the World Juniors. He won a championship in the minors, but he, he was in the Stanley Cup final and lost those, those season-ending moments. And I asked him what happens between the players and the coaches and in the dressing room after games. Um, it, it, I'll ask this from your perspective as being a coach. You know, when that season ends, and sometimes it's in a semifinal or a final, some kind of a playoff series. How do you approach that as a coach? Do you like to say something to the, to the guys? Do you like to leave them alone until you maybe have team meetings a day or two later? What's your approach? I, I really like to rip them and blame them for the season's <laughs> oh, failure. No. <laughs> no. I, I think you have to read the situation and you have to know your team. Uh, some teams need consoling. Other teams need to be left alone and need to relate to each other. Generally, I would say, though, some words, uh, putting it in, uh, you know, putting it in perspective a little bit, congratulating everybody, you know, encouraging them to uh, look at what all that was done that was good. And then, and you know, but in the meanwhile, you're going to have to grieve a bit if you're on the losing side, celebrate a bit if you're on the winning side. And then it'll be part of your memories that you've created through your sports career that'll be with you the rest of your life that no one can take away from you. And, uh, you know, certainly the premium is placed on winning, but it really is the journey that makes the difference in in the athletic experience and the life experience, Reed, because so few people ever win the big championship. But that does not diminish the efforts and the best efforts that are put forward by athletes and coaches to make a season special. Yeah, well said. Paul Sir joining us tonight from Alberta Basketball on uh, on Inside Sports. So I, I always enjoy your perspective on uh, on things like that because you, you've had a lot of experiences and, and athlete development and, and like you just said, the experience of being on a team and going through the journey of a season and, and the ups and downs is so much of what makes sports. Of course, everybody wants to win, but um, you know, especially young people take so so much out of it as as they go through their lives, which is uh, which is really important. Okay, at the other end of the spectrum, the uh, it's the end of the road in the NBA, and uh, it's the Heat and the Lakers. You heard that clip from LeBron. I, I mean, if I he's sitting there saying this is as locked in as he's ever been. Yeah. <laughs> so so let me get this straight, LeBron. You were just kind of half-assing it the first fourteen years or whatever. Yeah. Your yeah. You still you, you still won all those the titles for the ten finals you've been to. So 
maybe now it's time to get serious. Uh, it, 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 it doesn't bode well for the Heat. I think, you know, the odds makers certainly make the Lakers a heavy favorite read. That, that, it goes without saying, when you have two first-team NBA players, the caliber, and it's not just like they had great seasons. These are great, great players. LeBron, you know, his legacy is getting bigger and bigger all the time. And here he is at 35, Reed, and I honestly can say, I think this is the best basketball play, the best basketball I've ever seen LeBron play in terms of its totality. He, he's playing defense, and he hasn't played this kind of defense, to my mind, for the last three or four years. So he is locked in. Uh, I have a hard time imagining Miami beating them. Uh, Miami's a surprising team. They're a great team. And I'll, I'll tell you where Miami has one tremendous asset they, uh, among many, but that's the, the clever game adjustments that Coach Folstra and his staff have been using that may give... Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Them a fighting chance. Yeah, I, I mean, I got to tell you, Paul, I, I watched a lot of the Raptors series. Um, I was still interested in watching Jamal Murray in, in the conference finals. And uh, when I watched the Heat, you're, you're going to laugh, but you know I'm like this. I, I When I watched the Heat and Celtics, it was just because now I wanted to see the Celtics lose. Because generally, I don't <laughs> like Boston teams, and plus they, yes. they beat the Raptors. But, but I want to tie this back into Toronto. And I know you and I have done a couple segments breaking down their season and and their playoffs but when i when i saw these teams playing that reached the final four they just had better flow on offense like i went back and the, and the raptors like i felt like they had this weird hesitation in some of their offensive sets that the that the celtics didn't have and the teams that were into the conference final. Like, I, I know you see it so much more technically than I do, but when I was watching the conference finals and comparing it to the Raptors' offensive flow, I thought, why were the Raptors hesitating on some of these plays and these other teams are just going after them and making them? You know, I think that's pretty good. Your years in Lloyd Minster really helped you with your <laughs> basketball knowledge, Reed. I mean, Phil Allen, man. Phil Allen, that's right. <laughs> Actually, your observations are, 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 right, are right on point. The Raptors were not flowing when even when they had success they had to work it, it looked like they had to work so hard to have success and a couple of factors i think enter into it uh number one lowry is magnificent but but kyle lowry is a street fighter and everything he does is through his mental toughness certainly he hits he, he hits shots he hits he hits three pointers but when you look a lot at a lot of his drives to the basket when he finishes, it's getting bumped, it's getting hit. You I mean the guy's a bruiser. Van Fleet, I mean you've got two undersized guards out front. It's sort of an odd guard front. And then you throw Pascal Siakam into it, and Siakam could get nothing going in the bubble in the in the finishing eight games leading into the playoffs. 
in the playoffs offensively, the guy was dreadful. And not only dreadful, but hesitant, like you pointed out, Reed. And he turned the ball over at bad times. He was just—he was just not right. Probably not ready for the moment. OG Ananobi is not a free-flowing offensive player. Norman Powell is a really good player, but he's not a guy you're going to—you're going to build around and win a championship with if he's your starting guy. This is my opinion, and I think Powell is a great contributor. But I think you're right. It, you know, just as I go through those. There wasn't a free flow. There wasn't a ball movement uh, flow to it, and then somebody would make a quick decision and and either go all the way to the rim or get it out to somebody for an easy three. Everything seemed to come so hard for them. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to put it. Everything seemed to come so hard for them. They they had to work twice as hard to get half as much yeah. done. That's that's what it felt uh, yeah, watching that series. Right. Uh, look, these guys are the, the highest level. Obviously, they've made the NBA Finals. Uh, you touched on it a little bit, but impact of coaching here? Is there an edge? Can one guy do a little bit to, to put the other team over the top? Well, I think Spolster has the edge because of all of the championship experience he's had. And and here's something that, you know, I don't don't want to get too technical, but I've never seen a coach play almost an entire series in a zone in the NBA. Like, that's unheard of. Zone defenses in the NBA, and again, I don't want to bore everybody with uh, with why you don't usually do it, but somehow Eric Spolstra got his team to buy in, and it really bothered Boston and got them out of their rhythm. That demonstrates that he's creative. Uh, Vogel is known for the Lakers as a great defensive coach. He certainly earned the respect of LeBron James. And if you earn LeBron's respect, then everybody's going to respect him. So they're both very, very good coaches. The advantage, obviously, that L.A. has is they have not just the best player on the court, but probably the best player coach on the court in Jane because he makes so many great decisions uh, game, game in and game out. So I, I give a bit of an edge to Spolstra. I just don't think they have enough to overcome James and Davis. I think that's that's really what it boils down to. Here's the here's the X factor, though, Reed. I still don't believe the supporting cast on L.A. is that good. And I'm curious to see how Miami's defense can affect those guys because they're still going to have to have good performance, performances from other guys other than just Davis and James. Yeah, fair comment. Uh, I mean, we saw well, we saw it with the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? Depth. Yeah. Like, is it, like Stamkos didn't play while well, he played five minutes, and they <laughs> they still won the they still won the Stanley Cup. So you still need Great. that depth. How many games do you think it goes? I mean, obviously you think the Lakers are going to win. How how many games? Um, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with six. I'd like to say five because I it, it'd be intriguing to see. No, I'm going to go with five. I'm going to go with uh, four four to one uh, victories for the Lakers because I just think LeBron has too much, and uh, you know what. I, I say that. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's a really competitive, close series. I really like the shooters for Miami, and I really like the way this team plays together, and I like the leadership of Jimmy Butler. So I'd like to see them give LeBron a run. Paul, well, it's always great to have you on the show. Uh, of course, we'll keep uh, – what's going on uh, What's going on in Alberta basketball now? How, how is everything shaping up with uh, all the pandemic adjustments? 
Well, with Alberta being the most, I think, aggressive and progressive province in the country about trying to find a way for people to get back to sport, uh, Alberta basketball is running a program called our Targeted Athlete Strategy. It's a partnership with Canada Basketball where we target the elite uh, players, male and female, in our province from anywhere from ages uh, 12 to 18. And we get a lot of coaches in the gym with them and do a lot of individual breakdown and workouts. Uh, there are slowly uh, games being played. Uh, right now we're, we're working through the final details on that and making sure all the protocols laid out by the government of Alberta are followed. Again, trying to have maximum safety in, a, in an environment where, you know, people are sweating and breathing on each other. So we'll see. But, uh, yeah, things, things are starting to happen. Uh, but there's, it's so uneven, Reed, all through sport. Uh, we've got some stuff happening, but other stuff that uh, typically happens this time of year, there's just no chance. And we're still up in the air about what's going to happen with high school sport, for all sports, not just basketball. Yeah, good point. Hey, if you got any of your games from uh, Winona State on, uh, you know, the old reels or maybe a beta tape, send them to me. I'd love to watch, okay? I, 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 I've got one. I got to tell you one, can I tell you one like 10 second story? Of course. Yeah. Take your time. Okay. One of my great moments, one of my favorite moments, one of the great moments I had in my life after I played pro came back, I was playing with a bunch of friends. We hooked up. Remember Adam Morrison? Yep. From uh, Gonzaga. Yeah. Well, got to know his dad and his dad invited myself and all these other former college players out to this tournament called the Western Invitational Tournament. Lewistown, Montana, in the middle of nowhere, 10,000 people had this really cute little 2,000-seat arena. Teams would fly in from all over the United States. It was written up in Sports Illustrated back in the day. So I'm there with my friends. We're playing some teams. First game, we beat the then the Pac-8 All-Stars. Uh, it was 122-121. This was without three points. This was out, these were 10-minute quarters without three-pointers and no shot clock. And uh, we won the second game, lost the third, and the fourth game we had to play against a team that had Ken Charles on it. Ken Charles was the third leading scorer on Michigan State. The year It was the year Magic Johnson's team beat Larry Bird's team. So a week before uh, I played against Charles, he was playing in the finals against Larry Bird's team. And I was being checked by Charles. So I had 28 on him. I played really well. But he had 35 on me. And <laughs> I had the, I, I learned what a getting absolutely dunked on was like that game because he did it pretty much at will on me. So, uh, but that was, it was so much fun to think a week later he was competing and guarding Bird. And then a week later he was checking me. I thought, uh, boy. His, his fortunes really went down, but uh, <laughs> that was a great uh, moment. It was a lot of fun. That, that, is, that is awesome. Hey, <laughs> thanks for checking in, Paul. We'll talk soon, okay, buddy? All right. Take care, Reed. Always fun. That is Paul Sir from Alberta Basketball. He's the boss there, uh, does a great job with that organization, and some thoughts on coaching, playing, and, of course, the NBA Finals that start tomorrow. We're back after the break.
text here. Uh, this texture says, I lost the Allen Cup semifinals in double overtime to Whitby in Stony Plain. Brian Sutter absolutely ripped us after the game. Not kidding. I was at that game. I was at that tournament doing play-by-play for the Lloyd Border Kings who would beat Whitby in the championship game after beating Stony Plain in the semifinal. And yes, the other semi was uh, Bentley losing to Whitby in overtime. Thank you for uh, texting that. It was a pretty good memory for me, perhaps not as positive from that uh, texture who used to play for the Bentley Generals. They're now known as uh, the Lacombe Generals, of course. That That's one of my greatest broadcasting memories uh, of all time. I've told that story before. A little bit of an awkward situation for me. Um, as you probably know, uh, Sid Smith, the boss at 630 Chet, is, is retiring at the end of October. And I don't know how to approach this. I, I, uh, it's it's a little weird. I don't want to seem, you know, like I'm I'm being you know petty about it. But well, Sid owes me eighteen dollars. He's owed me eighteen dollars for a couple of years, and now he's retiring at the end of October, and I want to make sure I get that money. So should I? Where I'm not at the station. So I can't, you know, go talk to him or maybe leave a friendly note. So do I email him? Do I do I call him? Do I do something on Zoom? Do I maybe email about some other stuff? And then like, hey, oh, P.S., man, like you still owe me that 18 bucks. I don't know. It's a dilemma. I got to try to figure it out before the end of October. Could really use that cash. Thanks to Dave Campbell. He's the producer of Inside Sports. <laughs> and Kellen Kennedy, the birthday boy, is your studio producer. Happy birthday, Kellen. Thanks again, Reed. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're back tomorrow. Take care. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.